have three statements to balance each month. Our credit card statement, bank statement, and QuickBooks reports. They each have slightly different dates for payments. As an example, a recent credit card purchase of a new computer shows up at the end of the month, but wasn't paid from our bank account until the first week of the next month. What date should this be logged into QuickBooks and for our reports and budgets? Our budget projected this expense for a particular month, so shouldn't I try to book this in the same month as my budget projection? Obviously, this gets more important with larger expenses. Help, I'm not an accountant. Sounds like you're an accountant. (laughs) It sounds like you're doing accounting, so you're an accountant. Congratulations. (laughs) You're not. If only it were that easy. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so this is, there's this idea um, in in like sort of the bookkeeping accounting world um, about whether or not you're using the cash basis of accounting or the accrual basis of accounting. So you may have heard this before. And in fact, as you're setting up QuickBooks, like the, one of the first questions it asks you when you're creating a brand new QuickBooks file and you're putting in your chart of accounts and name and stuff, is it like, do you want to use the cash basis or the accrual basis? And I'd say that like 99% of people go, I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. unless you're like, you know, you're, Eeny, you, meeny, miny, yeah, you took an accounting class and you, you got that drilled into your head. Um, so, so what that means and, and the way most people work at home with their own checking account stuff is the cash basis, right? It goes out when it goes out. Like the whole point of a credit card is like, I'm going to pay for it now, but I'm really going to pay for it in 28 days. <laughs> right? That's like the idea. Of or part of it in 28 days. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I hope not. Um, but so, so that's the cash basis where like when the money goes out is when the money goes out. So once you in, include the concept of budgeting into something, then you probably need to start thinking about what's called the accrual basis. And what accrual basis is, and you've kind of hit it on the head with the question is like, paid for this thing on March 1st. So even though it doesn't come out of my checking account until April, um, I bought it in March. Um, that's the accrual basis where the, the expenses hit when the expenses hit um, and not necessarily when it comes out of your bank account. And, and it works in reverse as well. And so this actually happens all the time because you get an electric bill. Like if you have an office and you're paying an electric bill, they don't bill you on the 31st of the month for that month's electricity. They're billing you for some totally random period, it feels like, at least the end of the water district. Like anytime you pay a water Ugh. bill, it's like, well, last week it seemed to be six weeks and this time yeah. it's like four weeks. It's like totally how do you random. decide this? Yeah. <laughs> like it seems really random to yeah. me. So so what's happening is there's there's a billing period and, and you use the water from February 15th to March 10th. And that's the period. And so if you're really concerned about like what reality was for you on the last day of the month, like on some arbitrary month end period, then you actually have to figure out how much of this water did I use up to this last date? So I used two thirds of the water through March 31st. And then I used the last third of the water for the first 10 days of what a pain, right? So, so that's, that's what accruals mean. And, and it's only important, really, it's only important when you're talking, as you mentioned, when you're talking about starting to talk about really big dollar things, like, most places probably don't do accruals for the electric bill and the water bill. They're just like, it's fine. Yeah. You can. There's nothing wrong with it. You're up, it's technically probably more accurate. But unless your water bill is going to vary wildly from week to week, like, you know, this week we did the Bellagio Fountain Show. And yeah. Next week, we're not even there, right? So it's going to be completely different. Unless you need to capture that kind of variability, that's the kind of thing you can sort of let slide. The things that you can't let slide 
is when you come to the end of a year. So once you get to the end of the year, you're supposed to close your books at the end of the year and say, everything up to this point is what I did this year. Um, but your payroll periods might not match up to the end. You don't pay people through December 31st if that's your year end. You pay people whatever the pay period, you know, might have paid them on the 7th. But, but you have to report what happened on December 31st. So for that case, you really do need to go through and say, okay, I need to assign this portion of that payroll to this fiscal year, this calendar year, and this portion of the payroll to the next one, because that's really what I ended up on this, on this finite date. So that's when it really comes, it's really important for when you're reporting to your board, if you're using the accrual basis of accounting, you don't really want to say to them, on March 31st, this is literally no joke where we were with all of the things that were meaningful and important. Yeah. So that means that if you bought the computer in that quarter, if you actually, like, it showed up, then you received it, it belonged to you, that's when it gets booked. It gets, you know, whatever, it's an asset or whatever. But even though you paid it in April, no big deal, because that's what accounts payable is for. It sits on your accounts payable account, and you're going to book that in, in March or whatever. And then you're going to pay it, and your accounts payable is going to get smaller. So if you're using accounts payable and accounts receivable in your QuickBooks file, which you probably are, you're three quarters of the way there to accrual basis accounting anyway. You just kind of have to commit to it to do those journal entries at, you know, quarterly. I wouldn't, honestly, if this hasn't been important today, I wouldn't worry about the months so much. I'd start small and start quarterly and say, okay, at the end of my quarter, when I provide this information to my board, I want that to be accurate. So I'm going to try to figure out how to do that quarterly. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Glad to have you joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I am here with fabulous, fantastic, What's another F word? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. I'm not sure what else. Okay. Uh, Andy, my co-host, Andy (laughs) Shurik. So uh, anyways, did you like that little little diversion? Um, Anyways, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, As always, uh, we are grateful to Anne, the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, for making all of this possible, and to you, our listeners, for being here. So to support us, there's a few things you can do. Obviously, you can always support what Anne is doing. Uh, They are, you know, the, the organization behind this. Uh, there is also an opportunity to ask us questions in any way you can track us down, which isn't that difficult, even on the Nonprofit Everything website. And uh, also, why don't you share this? We would we would love for you to share this with a colleague, someone new who maybe doesn't know about us, because that just helps grow our reach and grow the pool of questions we get. So thanks. Today's episode is sponsored by the HR Collaborative. The HR Collaborative was formed to help build nonprofit strengths through improved human resources. It provides professional development opportunities, networking, and sharing of best practices on HR issues faced by nonprofit organizations. The Collaborative meets bi monthly. Membership is free and open to anyone who works for a nonprofit and has HR responsibilities. For more information or to attend an upcoming meeting, visit their website at www.hrcollaborativelv.org. Check out the Nonprofit Everything show notes for more information. I stepped into the ED role at a very small nonprofit in 2020. 
As our events were canceled due to COVID, we didn't have much to offer in sponsorship value, so it wasn't an issue. Now, however, I'm trying to figure out how to pursue sponsorships. How do I find prospects? I know the organization has successfully secured sponsorships in years past, but I don't have any records or contact information for those sponsors. I can always just pick up the phone and start calling, but I'm sure there's a better way to do this. Any suggestions? I'm stuck on the no record of past sponsorship information. I hear this more than I would like from new nonprofit executive directors or senior leaders who say they can't find anything. There's no information available on whatever kind of history that they need to dig out. That concerns me, and that's probably a topic for another podcast question. But one of the things, because I do think you kind of, you know, at the end of the day, with anything to do with development, sponsorships, trying to find past supporters is is one of the tickets to building on that, renewing that, and it's lower hanging fruit than trying to start from scratch. So if if this ED could spend a little bit of time or maybe have a volunteer or well, maybe an intern, whomever, somebody who might be willing to look through past social media of their organization where a sponsorship was recognized or have they looked at, have they, have they actually looked at board minutes and maybe former executive director reports or asked their board if they have board members from that time? Hey, do you remember like just anything to kind of start there? Um, if that doesn't exist at all, which is just hard to believe there's not some sort of piece of it. And maybe it's just a time issue, right? I get it. You're an ED of a smaller organization and you're like, I don't have the time to dig any further. So if that's the case, I mean, I think you, with any of this stuff, you look at which corporate sponsors are potentially aligned with your mission, right? Their their organization or their company's goals and sort of their their company's mission aligns with the the people you serve. And so there's natural fit partnerships um, spending some time at a board meeting, or maybe if you have a development committee or somebody who can kind of do some brainstorming around potential good fit sponsors is an opportunity. I, I, you know, the one thing, and I would love to know your opinion on this, Andy, like I, there's also a part of me that says our our corporate sponsorships, a kind of no win situation for a smaller nonprofit I, I know in my opinion, I see I see companies that they always gravitate toward the big, big daddy nonprofits, right? The ones everyone, and, and there's reason for that because that gives them the most exposure. That helps uh, them with their own goals around marketing and reach. It's less about impact often and more about visibility. So I just, I guess from that perspective, I think, you know, is this even energy that this organization wants to put into it. And I don't mean to be self-defeating, but I do also have that question. I mean, I think it's useful to think about how, like imagine yourself in the room of where people are deciding where to, whether or not to do something like this. So like a lot of times the reason somebody gets money for a sponsorship for an organization is because there's a board member that works for that company that is then a member of that or is on, on the board of that organization or volunteers for the organization. And so there's so there's some direct connection between someone at that company and someone yeah. at your nonprofit. Um, so like figuring that part out first is that's going to be your easiest your easiest thing to do. Every single if you've got volunteers, every single one of your volunteers probably 
is either has a job or is related to someone who has a job, although maybe not right now. <laughs> but 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 there's you know that's that's a potential good mind to try to find these kinds of things. The second thing then, like one beyond that, then would be to start, like you said, start to identify what what for profit companies might have something in common with what you're doing. Um, honestly, a lot of that is nonsense these days. Like corporations say great things. And to be honest, they could care less. They're just kind of trying to, you know, they're just responding to things. They're reacting to things. Um, it's one of the reasons that gala events continue to exist is because it really doesn't involve, you know, it's a, an excuse to pay a little bit too much money to go to a lame party. Right? <laughs> so the, the, the fact that it exists it has nothing to do with the mission of the organization. 95% of the time, that's probably not great, but 75% of the time. Right. Yeah. So so like thinking about maybe there's some sort of direct fit, but I'd go with the, like, do we have direct connections with these companies first? Yeah. Um, the other thing too, is like to find out your donors, like who, like people that are currently donating to you. Um, there's, there's services that allow you to do matching gifts. So whether they will actually help you locate the company that your donors work for and to provide information about whether that company provides a match, because that's a good way to kind of get in the door. Because if you're, if you're looking at, um, if a, if a company's looking to to make a donation, they say, "Hey, there's like you know 40 of our employees are donating to this particular organization. You know, maybe we should take a look at what they're doing because our employees seem to be interested in it too. Because that's a big driver from, or it should be a big driver for corporations of what the kinds of things they want to donate to is like what are our employees interested in. So, you know, I think there are a lot of ways to kind of go about like figuring it out if you really yes. have if the data is really just gone. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the fun of being an ED and trying to figure out where are we going to get our money from? Yeah. And I do, I mean, I do think you're not alone in this or you shouldn't be alone in this. I do think it's worth having a conversation with your board chair. If there isn't a development committee in place to, to activate some of that thinking at a board meeting, because more minds are better, you know, than one mind on thinking through this and brainstorming and coming up with everyone's mutual connections around the table and where your board members work perhaps and all that good stuff. One other idea to think about is there's, you know, a lot of corporate grant makers that may actually give you a grant, put you through their RFP process. And that comes from a different, you know, budget line item than does the marketing piece and sponsorship piece. And oftentimes those are also handled by two different departments, people, sometimes not, but but sometimes they are. So it might also even be worth considering looking at if you're getting any corporate grants, is is it worth having a conversation with your contact at that corporation to say, hey, we're just wondering holistically, do, do you do an either or model where it's either a grant or a sponsorship? Or is it there sometimes kind of a whole package deal where you'll give a grant and you'll consider a sponsorship and, you know, X, Y, Z. So I think there's some opportunity there to explore as well. Here's a question, Andy. We are having a virtual gala and have pre-recorded segments for entertainment. We need to know what to do about using music for them and copyrights. Mm -mm -mm, this is fun. Yeah, it's like one of those things is like, shouldn't, why do I have to worry about this? <laughs> like, it feels like, like, come on, we're just doing a gala. Why do I seriously have to worry about this? I know. Yeah. What so, a pain. Yeah. And so the kind of the idea behind that, so there, the shorter answer is, go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes that will give you like 
here's what to do, <laughs> like, and explain to you the steps of what you need to do it. But um, just to kind of give you a sense of what the the purpose of it is, like the like, so say you think the nonprofit everything theme music is really amazing. It's like your favorite song, and but you really think it needs to be done by. Um, and Alphorn and Tuvan throat singers. I think that version <laughs> would be way, way better. Yeah. So, so they've divided up rights in certain ways that like, say you wanted to cover the song that you can actually get the rights to cover the song. So that there are three different kinds of rights. One is to be able to play it live. Yeah. One is to play a recording of it. So you've, you've got the rights to the actual physical recording of it. And then the third one is to be able to to play a recording of someone else doing it. So the other so there's performance rights, there's mechanical rights, which is playing like a like putting it on a tape or something. And then there's the actual rights to the actual songwriter who put the song together. So because there are these three separate kinds of rights, it's not as simple as just like paying one person. So you have to kind of do like generally you do a blanket license to one of the licensing firms or all three of the licensing firms. It's ASCAP is one of them. BMI is one of them and CSAC is the third one. Um, so, and you, for, for a gala event, what you'll end up doing is just paying, it'll say how many people are coming. Um, what date is it? Um, how many times are you going to play the thing? Right. And then, and is it just a record, is somebody playing the music or is it pre-recorded and who's recording of it? Is it, or even like, we're just going to have music that's subject to license. And they'll say, great, that's amazing. That's going to cost $350. You pay them $350 and you're done. So, so it's relatively simple once you get through it, but you kind of need to read the instructions and follow the thing and go ahead and get the license. Um, it's one of those things that, I mean, you're, you're probably not going to get in trouble if you don't do it, but you should probably do it anyway. Right? I'll tell you <laughs> what, though, I, I listen to that and go, you know, planning a, a gala is hard enough, like without having to add yet another dimension. So all I'm thinking about is, is this organization really tied to having having music that is copyrighted or can they get royalty free music or perhaps ask one of their local performing arts bands or some a local musician or something to do something for them? Like, do you really have to go through all of this just for the specialized music. So even then you might. So the, the challenge with that is that the performer might actually be represented by one of these, these rights agencies already. So if, even if they're playing their own music, their music might be copyrighted. There probably is copyrighted. And so you're going to need to pay for the rights of that anyway. Or if that performer is actually playing music that someone else wrote, that person needs to get paid for the music that they're playing, even though that person's not there. So uh, yeah, most of the time. And then because this is a virtual gala, just to throw extra stack on top of it is that you might get a copyright strike because you put it on YouTube or whatever. Somebody else is, you know, somebody plays a stupid version of Frank Sinatra's My Way with dumb lyrics or whatever. Right. And then you get hit by Frank Sinatra's people, whatever, whoever owns the rights to that. And all of a sudden you've got a copyright strike on your YouTube page. And once you get a few of those, then you can't post any more videos. So it's much easier just to follow the rules and as irritating as it is, Boo. just do it that way. Yeah. So there's really no, it sounds like according to your research, that's the easiest way to do that is to follow the rules. So, so you can't think of any other workaround. I think I was trying to find a workaround to sort of save someone a couple steps. I mean, I guess the only thing is if perhaps they found a local nonprofit that plays music or, or doesn't, isn't subject to copyright laws, then maybe something like that could work. So the key would be just finding music that wasn't copyrighted, but that 
might be difficult. Yeah, well, you can't. I mean, it depends on what you're doing it for. So if it's like interstitial music between speakers, if it's just like, you know, groovy do to do to do or whatever in yeah. between speakers. Yeah, there's tons of royalty free music that you can use that doesn't isn't subject to that at all. But if it's a performer doing a performance, like it's very likely that whatever they're performing Someone owns the copyright on that, and so you have to respect their copyright on that, right? Just because you don't want to get it, it's, it's just so much of a pain to have an attorney call you and say, hey, by the way, my job is to really irritate nonprofits by making them pay royalties <laughs> on gala events they had 10 years ago, uh, and you used the cover version of Frank Sinatra's My Way with different lyrics, and so you owe us, plus penalties, $10,000 or whatever stupid thing it is, right? Okay. I so, have I've figured out the solution, Andy. Go no further. Say no more. Would you like that? to hear the solution? I'd love to hear the solution. Now. Have no music. No music at all. <laughs> Get a stand-up comic. <laughs> or, or hire performers that are so bad you can't tell what the song is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pandemic has increased the number of donors requesting to send money via ACH or wire transfer instead of check. Even though we have positive pay on our bank account, I am uncomfortable with the number of people our bank info is being distributed to, often on unofficial looking forms or worse yet, in the body of an email. Is there a safe way to do this? I have bad news for you, which is I don't know who you are. If you tell me the name of your organization, I can probably tell you your bank routing number and bank account number within 15 minutes or so. That really? information is not secret. On every check that you write, on the bottom left-hand corner... Oh, true. That's the, a good point. Okay, all of a sudden bank, I'm going, yeah, you're right. Oh. Is the bank routing number and the bank account number. That's how they know how to pay that check. That's the only magic of checks. So, like, if, if you could convince your bank, and I, you probably could... You could probably just take a regular old piece of paper and you could write <laughs> using that weird goofy font. You could write the bank routing number and the bank account number and make it kind of look like a check and you could probably deposit it, right? So that piece of paper, there's literally nothing magic about that piece of paper. Your bank routing number is not a secret. Your bank account number is not a secret. The ABA number, the SWIFT number, the routing number for Wells Fargo or Bank of America or wherever you have your bank is available on their webpage. It's all out there because that's how the banking system works. If it were, I mean, it's not, it's not intended to be complicated and secret. It's intended to be public. So the answer to your question is like, you're barking up the wrong tree. There are, there are probably better ways to make sure that you keep your, your stuff secure. And that's what your internal controls document that you're supposed to have does. So for example, um, if somebody says, Hey, I want to make a deposit into your account. I'm going to give you $10,000. Can you email me your, your bank routing number and check number so I can just have it deposited into your account? Like, go ahead and do that. Right. <laughs> That's right. fine. Right. Like having money come into your account, like, sure, go ahead, do that right. all day long. Right. right. What you're trying to avoid is having money go out of your of account. Of course. Yeah. So, so there are lots of different ways you lock up your check stock. Um, positive pay. You mentioned positive pay for those of you who don't know what that is. If you don't have that, you should probably get that. What that is, is when you've got a bunch of checks, so you're going to send out a whole check run, you maybe have 25 checks in it. What you do is you actually send a file to the bank separately from your check run that says, these are the check numbers. These are the dollar amounts on these check numbers, and these are who they're going to. So the bank knows ahead of time, before you put those checks in the mail, the bank knows ahead of time that this is what you're expecting to see. And so if somebody takes a check 
and like secretly adds another one in front of it to make it $10,000, $11,000 instead of $1,000. Like they try to deposit that. Your bank's going to flag it and go, nope, ACA, your, your positive pay account for this one said $1,000. This check is only good for $1,000. So they, that avoids like that check washing and that kind of piece of it. So it's only good for some stuff. I mean, part of it is you kind of have to rely on other kinds of better practices. Try not to, try not to lose check stock. <laughs> but make sure you're using positive pay to do that. Um, I've seen people get really paranoid and create separate bank accounts. So if this really freaks you out, like say, for example, say you have a board member that's totally freaked out by this and you need to manage it in some way just to make them feel more comfortable. And your, your explanation that like, it's not a secret. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how to help you. It's not yeah. a secret. Yeah. If that explanation doesn't work, you could always open up a separate account. Um, so some people do this for payroll accounts. So you have a separate bank account for payroll accounts. And what you do is the day before payroll, you transfer the amount of money into the payroll account and then the money comes out of that payroll account. Yeah. So you've actually just created an additional layer of like, you don't know my real bank account number. You only know my one that's only only filled up and then emptied when I want it to be filled up and emptied. And that theoretically can protect you from somebody trying to empty that bank account. Um, but I think honestly, in all fairness, though, Andy, so I'm going to just, I, I, first of all, I listened to your explanation and I feel a little silly because I read this question too and was sort of like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, but, but when you actually think about it, yeah, absolutely. That makes no sense. I almost think we are all in this hyper alert stage of don't put any confidential info in the email and don't, you know, and with all of this sort of cybersecurity issues. And I understand that this isn't necessarily one of those to worry about, but I almost think we're all on hyper alert that anytime someone's asking us for bank info in a non-traditional form, it's easy to just automatically have a little bit of a panic without actually thinking through what you just said. So this is a really good reminder. <laughs> and having having those internal policies and procedures too makes makes sense. So yeah, set up all the other roadblocks. I mean, make sure you're using positive pay, lock up your check stock. If you've got two-factor authentication with your bank, like where they send you the little key fob, if they still do that, or usually it's like a phone, or there are other ways that you can like sort of say, I, it's me logging in. I'm the person that's allowed to do this because really you're mostly concerned about money going out. And banks have been doing this for a really long time. It's like, it's not, you didn't, we didn't just invent banking. Banking's been around, <laughs> checks have been around for a very long time. And so, so the, the banking system is sort of well designed to prevent that kind of loss and theft and everything else is your internal controls document. And that's why that exists. And, and, you know, I wouldn't be super worried about it, but, you know, coming up with a plan or like even, even make your auditor like, so this is a good use of an auditor too. Um, if you've got a board member that's really freaked out about this, like have the auditor talk to them and say, here's, here's the, here are the common ways that we protect bank account information. And it's not being freaked out about your checked account number. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like based on what you're saying and, and it totally makes sense. People should actually, maybe you want to readily make your, ch your checking account number and routing number available so that, I mean, I'm being facetious no, now, put of course, that on your but, website. but like here, here's how we can make your, let's put it on a billboard. So anyone who's looking to make a donation. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can cue the sad music if that's all the time we've got. Um, Stacy and I are really excited to have answered your questions today. Please send us more. We want all the questions you've got. If there was something we talked about today and you're like, 
mm, I don't agree. Send us that too. <laughs> We'd love, we haven't gotten one of those in a while. No. Maybe we're, I don't know. Uh-oh. Why do you think? I know that people can't be agreeing with everything you and I say. I think it's just like the, this, they're, they're, everyone's life is so complicated now that the thought of like complaining to podcast hosts <laughs> is probably just a bridge too far. It's low, low on their priority <laughs> it's list. It's really low on their priority list. So, you know what? That's okay. You don't need to do that. Um, just realize that, that we, Stacey and I really appreciate that you take the time to listen to this silly, silly podcast where we, we take, Questions that sometimes seem so like not important, <laughs> like just like random um, accounting questions about nonprofit accounting, like how to set up QuickBooks, just stuff that like in the grand scheme of things is like, like no one cares. But but for a while, at least for us, for Stacy and I sitting in this room and, and um, we're actually getting to do this in person, uh, definitely socially distanced, wearing masks really far away from each other. Um, but it probably hopefully sounds better. But but. One of the things that is so much fun about this is that we get to stop thinking about everything else for just a little while, that we can spend a half an hour talking about like executive directors doing silly things, board members making bad decisions, like nonprofit staff complaining about things that we get to do that for a little while and we don't have to think about anything else. Um, so hopefully you, you can appreciate that too. Send us your absurd questions. We're happy to answer them. We want to bring in guest experts. Um, my my resolution for I know you really use do resolutions, but for this year I think I probably need one. Um, the first one is to go outside. I'm going to go outside. Oh, this year. well, hey, you <laughs> already might. did it. You accomplished it today. I did. I got outside. <laughs> that was good. But the other one is like I want to I want to bring on a guest. Don't tell them this, but I want to bring on a guest expert that we just skewer. Like because everybody we bring on is really smart. We don't bring on any ringers. Um, I would like to bring on somebody that like has a really stupid opinion and I'd like to tell them that their opinion is stupid. Oh, I think that would be really wow. fun. Well, so, that'd get a lot of listens. But so yikes. if you know any guest experts that you just think are completely full of it, um, let us know <laughs> and we'll reach out to them and we'll have them answer a question and then we'll tear them to pieces. I think that would, I would enjoy that. That would make Okay. Me happy. Correction. Andy will tear them to pieces. <laughs>